Hello and welcome in to another episode of our Refiner's Fire series. We did just want to thank you for joining us for our 36th episode of YCP's virtual monthly series, Refiner's Fire, where Catholic business leaders from diverse industries share professional and spiritual wisdom in short 30-minute live sessions. And in spite of the short length of these segments, we hope the tips and insights will be really powerful for all of us as we strive to work and witness for Christ. Now, the name of our micro-interview series, Refiner's Fire, it actually comes from scripture, from Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, where we learn that God is like a refiner's fire who seeks to purify us and make us the best we can be. And that's the whole point of the series. Through the inspiration and wisdom of these exceptional Catholic leaders, we are challenged to improve in small ways in our professional and spiritual lives. So let's be open to this journey of refinement so that in everything we do, we do it aiming for that higher standard of excellence that gives glory to God. Our topic this month is power and influence in ethical perspective. And as leaders, we have people who are dependent on us. We will discuss how we can handle their dependency on us and much more. And I really can't think of a better person to talk to about this than Jay Lee Whittington. Jay Lee is the Dean and Professor of Management in the Satish and Yasmin Gupta College of Business at the University of Dallas. And Jay Lee, we are so honored to have you here today, and we thank you for being with us. Well, thanks, Derek. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. And I appreciate you hanging in there with all the technical difficulties and yes. super excited <laughs> to hop into this, this podcast-style interview. So I want We're just to proving that we're human, Derek. That's all. <laughs> so, Amen to that. You know, yeah, the, the yeah. enemy tried to shut down this interview today and the Lord prevailed. So I'm, I'm very thankful to be here with you today. Yeah, me too. Now, I know this is this is a topic that's super relatable to so many young professionals today and, you know, myself personally and so many people I know. And I'm curious, why why is this topic important to you? Well, I think I kind of developed a sensitivity to this. Um, early on, I probably observed it in other places, but uh, one of the things I observed when I was in college was that uh, we had some resident directors and resident assistants that had been given authority, you know, to help run the the uh, the dormitory, and it, and some of them just couldn't handle being an authority, and so it really sensitized me that you know there's people that can handle being an authority and use it in a constructive and proper way, and there's other people that really aren't good at handling authority and actually use it in a, in a destructive way. So I got sensitive to that uh, at least then. And then I've noticed it, you know, in a, in a variety of settings in, in various workplaces uh, that I've worked. And then also, you know, as a professor, as a teacher, uh, having to become acutely aware that, wow, I've got this position and I can control people's destinies or, I, you know, grades or getting raises and promotions and, and things like that. And man, I, I need to do this, in the right way. I need to use, you know, the, the power inherent in my positions. I need to use it to build people up rather than tear people down or serve my own personal interest. So I guess I just, my own experience kind of sensitized me to it. And, uh, you know, oftentimes these things happen and you start seeing it in other people. Um, but I think, you know, to use your, your excellent phrasing, I think the prompting of the spirit said, Hey, you need to look at yourself. <laughs> You're really good at seeing what others are or aren't doing. Well, look at yourself. And so oh, it's just kind of kind of evolved as something I'm really, really sensitive to. And, and I think it's a, an important aspect of any leadership role. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. And I, I think even just to add a piece onto that, I want to ask you about, because 
I know it's relatable to many young professionals, but it's also not to so many. And I'm curious mm-hmm. in, in your experience of, you know, the students you teach and people that you interact with amongst, you know, young people today, why do you think they should make it important to themselves as well? Because there's so many people that are entering the work for, workforce for the first time and mm-hmm. may have never heard of it before. So oh. I'm curious in your mind, we know why it's important to you, but why do you think more young professionals today well, should think- make it more important to them as well? I think young professionals often, you know, we they, they get promoted because they have tremendous technical skills or tremendous individual contributors are really good at what they do. And they, they're often the go-to people in their departments or in their organizations. And, and then they get promoted and, and now they're in a different role and, and, and they're really not always equipped for that role in terms of skill sets, but also not equipped for that role in terms of the shift that takes place. Uh, and we talk about I was I was a buddy on Friday and now I come back I've been promoted and I'm the boss on Monday, and I think being aware of that that shift in the power dynamic and the shift in the way people are perceiving it it's just something that and that's one of the toughest transitions we'll ever make is from being a member of the team to being the leader of the team, or or coming into a new organization, being aware of the power dynamics and and one of the things about power is it's often in the eye of the beholder. And uh, whether you intend things or not, people are watching and they're perceiving how you're dealing with this role. So I, I just think it's really important for young people to think through um, the implications of, wow, now all of a sudden I have some formal authority and, and I have some responsibility and I've got other people that are counting on me to do the right thing on their behalf. And uh, so I, I just think it's I think it's something that probably doesn't get talked about near enough. And so very important for for young professionals as they move up in their career. That's great. And I, I appreciate you sharing your, your perspective on that as well. And I'm, I'm also curious, another question that, that came up from what you just shared. I am curious in your experience or if you've seen it just from the work that you've done throughout your career, how have you or people that you've seen deal with that perception of saying, hey, I'm in this current role. And, you know, on Friday, you know, I become the boss and get promoted. And on Monday, things change. Have you have you seen anybody or even with yourself deal with that just with, you know, just exceptional, I would say, skills in the sense of like, hey, I know that these people are now dependent on me. I used to be amongst them, but now I have to get them to see me as the boss. Now, not even necessarily the boss, but just someone that is here to take care of them and do it the right right way. You know, have you seen people make that transition pretty smooth? And if not, are there different ways that we could help people change the perception from going into a, a just regular worker to somebody that is now a leader in the organization? Right. Well, Derek, I think one of the biggest the biggest things is that you enter a new position, whether you come from within or from without, you enter it with mm-hmm. humility. And, and that chances are the people that you are now, quote unquote, leading, they know more about what they're doing than you do. And so I always think I I need to go in and spend a lot of time understanding them, understanding their jobs, understanding their challenges. And then also kind of paired with that humility is the servant leadership attitude that my role, and I I try to be real explicit about this. My role is, is to create environments where people can grow and people can thrive and people can flourish. And I'll go back to when I got my first supervisory managerial position. My dad said that, you know, my job as a manager was to create an environment where people could perform. And then I started teaching uh, part-time. And my dad said again to me, you know, your job as a teacher is to create an environment where people can learn. And so 
So to me, making that transition, whether you come in from the outside or whether you were the boss on Friday, I mean, buddy on Friday and boss on Monday, is, is come in with, with humility and then come in with a, the explicit mindset that I'm here to serve. And, and my job is to is to create environments where you can thrive and perform. I, my job is to eliminate the obstacles. Uh, you know, that's and then the, the other thing is that it's like I've been elected team captain, so I'm going to represent us at the coin toss. Uh, but then in my case, I actually line up at left tackle and my job is to is to make the blocks that allow other people to score the touchdowns or throw the passes. And just that servant mindset and humility, I think that's the key. Uh, that, that's the key to, to making this transition smoothly. It's still going to be tough. Um, but I think if you go at it with that that mindset, I think that can really help. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, being able to enter that role with humility and having that servant mindset, I think that that makes all the difference in that transition. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm curious as well, too, because, you know, once you move into that leadership role, you know, you're going to have employees or teammates that are dependent on you to have that specific mindset and enter with your hum- humility to, you know, lead by example. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, just one, as a leader, you know, how can we really handle that dependency on us and that burden we have on our shoulders? Because for a new leader, it can be asking a lot to juggle, you know, at once, because you have to be great in your role and you also have to be great at managing and leading your people as well. So I'm curious, how can we really handle that without burning out on our end and do it with exception? Well, I think we have to see that we're, you know, it's a team, it's a team effort and that that our job is to facilitate the work of the team. Uh, sometimes I'm the one with the answers, but a lot of times I'm not the one with the answers, but my job is to facilitate everybody working together to get the answer and, and to, to come to, to come to a conclusion. I think we can go too far and, and put so much responsibility on ourselves that we think that we're we're it. And we're the final, mm-hmm. and we may in fact be the final authority when a decision has to be made, but that we're the only person that has the the right answers or the right perspective. And and I've learned over the years is that, you know, a lot of times the the employees have answers and perspectives and concerns and issues that we didn't even consider. And and so having been you know, the low man on the totem pole and frustrated by decisions that come down from on high. And, and we say, you know, if I ever get to be a position, I'm not going to forget where I came from, but I'm going to involve the people. And then, then when you finally get there, remembering that and saying, okay, we got a tough decision here. we got a problem we need to solve. And I want to hear how y'all see the problem and what solutions y'all think. And so once again, I'm using, I've got the title and, and the fact that I've got the title and the position gives me the authority, if you will, to facilitate their their contribution and to facilitate their um, their input into, into helping us solve the problem. And I just think, once again, it comes back to humility that just because I have the rank or the title position doesn't mean that I'm the resident scholar on this particular problem and, and that I have the expertise. It, in most cases, somebody else on the team has the necessary expertise or several members of the team have the expertise. And so I need to use my power to facilitate rather than to dictate. Uh, hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's so true that the ability to facilitate versus dictate. And I, I think you really hit on it with that team mentality. Cause the first thing that I, I really thought of was the ability to delegate, you know, any mm-hmm. great leaders that I've ever seen have had that, you know, ability to delegate. And even we see that with Jesus as a leader. And even though, yes as our Lord and Savior, you know, he he could have done everything, but he delegated to his apostles as well, too, to go out and share the gospel with others. And 
So I, I think that's that's such an important point to be able to, to delegate and, and facilitate versus just dictate. So I appreciate you sharing that. Well, that, that delegation is, is is an important part. I mean, as leaders, one one of the things we use our power for is to develop other leaders. And and I think that delegation is a developmental tool. And if you if you watch the pattern that Jesus used, and then Timothy and and Paul uses the same pattern with Timothy, he starts off, first of all, he says, follow me. And then he says, watch me do it. And then he says, do it with me. And then Jesus would send the disciples out in pairs or small groups. And, and, and so mm-hmm. go do it while I watch. And then they would come back and debrief. And then finally at the end, right before he ascended into heaven, he said, okay, I'm leaving now. I'm going to give you a helper of the Holy Spirit, but now you go do it. And Paul did the same thing with Timothy. You know, watch me, do it with me. You go do it and debrief. And then he leaves Timothy there to pastor the churches at Ephesus. Well, that same that same process is is applicable today. And so I'm going to use my power to build people up. I'm going to use the the delegation of authority and assignment of tasks as developmental tools to help develop people. You know, leaders should be developing leaders, and and that that's a real important part of it. And too often, people in leadership positions aren't necessarily leaders; they're more power wielders. And they don't see that one of their primary responsibilities is to is to use their resources and their position to develop others. And so the, the delegation thing is just huge as far as developing disciples, uh, but also developing employees and developing more leaders. Yeah, I appreciate you expanding on that. And before we hop into the next question, just a, a reminder for everybody tuning in and listening, and we will be taking questions from Jay Lee live. So please be thinking of any questions that you would like to, to ask and have them post in the chat and we will get to them soon. And to jump into just the next question, I know we've touched on this uh, a little bit as well, and just on the this topic of just moral authority and being in a position as a leader to make decisions that are right and good. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know so many people and talk with so many people, and I'm sure that, you know, you have students and individuals that you chat with and even people that you've worked with throughout your career of these people that get put into situations that they've never been in before. And they are put into this role to make a decision that is right and good or make one that's bad and wrong. And that's going to hurt others. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you're able to give those that are listening right now an example of how you've applied moral authority into the workplace during a point in your career. Well, let me define moral authority just a little bit. Moral yeah. authority is is that my espoused values are in congruence with my enacted values, and so I say I believe these things. And, and you know, people that I work with, they know that that I'm a follower of Jesus, and so they have certain expectations of what that person looks like. And so they've got my espoused values, and then they're constantly watching to see where there is incongruence between my values and my and my actions. But I think it also goes further than that. Eric, I think we have to also our espouse values have to be anchored uh, to you know to God through the Spirit through the Word that that it's not enough to be self-referent uh, on that. I, I have to have this external anchor, and then when people see that that congruence, then you don't have to rely on those formal sources of power like reward power and coercive power. They're there because you have the position, but people are really following you because they look up to you and they admire you and and. They see a consistency of character. They see virtue, and not that you're perfect, but they 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 see that you are leading with with the best intentions, and that you're leading with their good in mind, instead of leading with you know how can I get rewards and recognition and praise and compensation and all those things. 
from an egotistic, they see that you're actually leading from what I would call an altruistic motive pattern. I think they see it. Uh, they see it. Um, and it's really for them to make the judgment. I mean, I, I could say all those things all the time, but uh, I could say I'm a servant leader. I could say I'm humble. Well, I, if I have to say it, <laughs> then no problem with that. I need to live it and let them observe it. And and so I think that's really where the moral authority comes from. And and I think in the long run, uh, I mean, there's times when we have to assert ourselves. Uh, but if if we're having to assert our reward and coercive power on a regular basis, and we can do that in an ethical way, but if that's what we're having to rely on, I think what that leads to is we end up with short-term compliance instead of long-term commitment. And, uh, you know, ultimately we'd like to have people in long-term commitment and wanting to be with us, wanting to be in our organization, pursuing together the missions that we're trying to achieve in our organizations. No, that was so beautifully said. I, I don't know if I've heard that ever shared in that phrase before of, you know, really using that reward or coercive power for short-term compliance versus, you know, moral authority and that, that long-term commitment. And mm -hmm. I think when we really look at, you know, the, the health of a, a small business or startup or a group of individuals or any organization, it, it really does come down to that in the leaders in the organization of, do they take this short-term compliance mode or do they mm -hmm. step in to understand that we're, we're focused on the long-term commitment? So I, I think that was beautifully said and I appreciate you sharing that. Well, you know, I could use power and, and reward, of course, part to think about a stretching a rubber band. I can get the rubber band to stretch to where I want it. But as soon as I take that tension off, that rubber band is going back to where, where it was. But if I'm leading with, with referent power, if I'm leading with, with moral authority, if, 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 if I have character that makes me worthy of imitation and people want to follow, then it's, it's not the same as that short-term compliance stretch the rubber band. It's more long-term and, uh, you know, much, much more lasting. And, and I think much more meaningful for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think to another thing that really resonated with me when you were sharing that is that, you know, you mentioned that the people in your organization that see you at the top leading, you know, they, they're going to see you either leading with your best intentions or, or your worst ones and whether or mm -hmm. not you have their best in mind. And I think when you have the best intentions to be a leader and to also have their best in mind. It's, it's almost like, you know, I, I initially just visualized just Jesus carrying up his cross up skull mountain. And just like, we have to be able to pick up and carry our cross when it comes yes. to being an effective leader in a workplace. And mm -hmm. I think through that really understanding when we are picking up this cross in, in the workplace and, you know, being attempting to be a, a servant leader, you know, how can we really use our authority that the Lord has given us and our power to, to create this environment where our employees and those that work with us can really flourish, grow and, and thrive in that environment we're creating. Mm -hmm. You know, I had the opportunity to, along those lines, Derek, I had the opportunity to interview Jack Lowe, who's a legend in the Dallas Fort Worth area. He was the CEO of TD Industries and they're champions of servant leadership. And everybody in the organization goes through servant leadership training. And when I was interviewing Jack, he, he kept coming back to this one point. And he said, a failure of foresight is an ethical failure. And I asked him to unpack that. And he said, the employees and their families at TD Industries are counting on me to do the right thing to position us for the best possible sustainable future. And I need to be anticipating that future. I need to be adjusting to that future. And he just really felt like there was a moral imperative to his to his leadership in, in terms of serving the best interest. And he always said it this way. He always said the, the 
well, they don't call them employees there. They call them partners because the, comp- the mm-hmm. employees actually own the company. But the partners and their families, he always talked about that. They're counting on me to do the right thing. They're counting on me to do the things that are going to position us for the best possible future. And if you don't do that, that's an ethical failure. And uh, I just, that just went, wow. You know, you think about that I'm in a leadership role. These people are counting on me to, to make good decisions, not just for today, but for the long haul. And it's not just the employees, but their families and all the people that, that they're supporting that are counting on me to do the right thing. So, um, I, I know I take that up. I take that seriously. I, yeah. I, I, and sometimes we have to make tough calls and challenging decisions. And and yet people should always know I'm doing this because it's in our long-term best interest. And so mm-hmm. that's very, very important dimension of it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so beautiful. I mean, I, I love that, you know, they don't say employees, but partners and it almost, it makes any organization, whether it's an organization of five people or 5,000, it, it has this family and servant leadership mindset just over, you know, being a number and just being an employee there, you know, they make you feel like the work that you're actually doing is moving the needle each and every day for this organization versus just, you're somebody that clocks in and clocks out. So I, I love that. And also for them visualizing and seeing like, Hey, these are my people and my partners that are counting on me to make the right decision, not just for today, but the decision I make today is actually going to affect us in the long term and the sustainability of our company. So yeah, that's so beautiful. And I appreciate you sharing that. Before you know, we hop into uh, go ahead. oh, go ahead. No, I was I was just, I was just, just thinking that you know we we made a decision years ago at the University of Dallas to incorporate ethics into every class that we teach, and we we you know it's probably not the most sophisticated definition, but we we said that any decision that affects another human being is by definition an ethical decision, and mm-hmm. when you define it that way, that defines it very broadly, but. When you define it that way and you're sensitized by that, you realize that every little decision you make is affecting an employee. It's affecting a customer. It's affecting a supplier. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's affecting all the stakeholders. And, and so because it affects another person, it's by definition an ethical decision. And so that really adds some, you know, some responsibility. I, I don't want to overwhelm anybody with the responsibility, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're, we're called to be salt and light and we're called to be imitators of Jesus and, and how we make these little decisions in the workplace matter. And so I, I just, it, it's just a huge topic. <laughs> Obviously we yeah. could talk forever about it, but that's, that's another way that we try to develop ethical leaders. Yeah. Amen to that. No, I, I think the, the quote that came up was how you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. And it just, yeah. that's so true. How you do the smallest things, it's how you're going to make the biggest decisions as well, too. So that's, that's awesome. But um, just another reminder for our listeners before we get into one more question, um, we are going to be taking some questions from Jay Lee Live. So continue to throw in your questions so we could post them in the, the chat for Jay Lee and ask them here shortly. But I, I did have one, one last question uh, on my end. And, you know, just being on this topic of, you know, servant leadership and moral authority and, and really understanding you know, our motives, you know, as leaders and, you know, how we're stepping into these organizations, you know, we, we always really have to be in a position to, you know, question our own motives and also allowing others at the organization to do so and making sure that they are the right ones and that we are being put into, you know, positions to make the right decisions for our employees and not just ourselves, but having that kind of servant leader mindset. mindset. Mm-hmm. But in your opinion, how, how can we really define our motives in our leadership role and making them, I would say, 
Yeah. Almost at the top of awareness for all the people that we're working with and leading. Right. So it's hard to measure motives. I mean, if I give you an attitude mm-hmm. survey and ask you to tell me your motive, you're going to self-report <laughs> in a positive way. And I mean, by the sure. same token, if I ask somebody else to measure your motive, they're going to go on their perceptions of you and and could be limited exposure to you, a lot of exposure to you, but they're going to make an attribution. About you. So it's hard to it's hard to objectively measure motives. But I think that we have to we have to be I call it invited scrutiny. Uh, we have to invite the scrutiny. Yeah. And as, as Christians, we invite the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit. Search me, O God, and show me if there's any way within me that is offensive or, or wrong. We invite the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, we ought to have some self-scrutiny. I mean, we, we should have our own time of reflection on, on key conversations and decisions we're moving into, and then we should do some post-action re- reflection as well. But I also think that we need uh, what I call a, a personal board of directors, uh, people that... Uh, we allow, we allow them to challenge us. We allow them to ask us the question, why are you doing this? What, what's your motive? You know, and, and what, what are you hoping to get out of this? And, and that we don't get defensive and we don't dismiss them. I know a lot of power wielders that when, when people try to challenge them and ask them what their motive is or, or point out the, the blind spots of their decisions or the second and third order implications of decisions that they haven't considered, they get very defensive. And some of me actually even dismiss the people the question. So I think we have to allow ourselves that discomfort of the invited scrutiny and the invited scrutiny of, of, of the Holy Spirit, the invited scrutiny of this personal board of directors. Uh, I've been married to Laura for 45 years. Uh, she's a key member of my personal board of directors and, and, and she knows that I teach on this. And so sometimes she teaches my stuff back to me and she said, what's your motive? Why are, why are you really doing that? And it's always a little uncomfortable when she teaches my stuff back to me, but um, that's part of, that's part of her, her agape love for me. She, she loves me with yeah. my, my best interest in mind, but it does create some discomfort. So I think we have to be willing to go there. We have to be willing to, to let people, um, ask us the hard questions and don't get defensive. Yeah. And, and sometimes that prompts us to, to really rethink, well, okay, so why am I doing this? And I think that's healthy. Yeah, no, that's, that's so beautiful. And I, it was probably the first time I think I've ever heard the term personal board of directors. You know, you always hear like, you know, surround yourself, you know, whoever the five closest people are to you, you become the average of those individuals. But I never really looked at in the sense of like the personal board of directors and, you know, whether that's, you know, a wife, you know, significant other, you know, close friend, you know, business partner, mentor, it's, that's so critical to have those individuals around you to also challenge you. And then also to help you, you know, kind of move into a discomfort way if you are complacent or if you're just kind of, you know, hanging out in this this area of comfort. Because I think even in our faith, like the Lord doesn't call us to a, a comfortable Catholicism. Like there is yeah. nothing comfortable about our faith uh-huh. at the end. Of the day. Like we are asked to pick up our cross each and every day. And That's I think right. to one, going back to, you know, what you mentioned when we started, just this idea of humility entering a role and then also having that when others are you know, challenging, you know, what you're doing as well. I think it's just so beautiful. And I, I commend you for being able to, you know, sit there to take that constructive criticism and feedback from that personal board of directors to help you make those decisions moving forward. That's awesome. Well, I think, you know, for me, my personal board of directors, I know they have my best interest in mind. And so I know mm-hmm. that even in the moment when it's uncomfortable <laughs> that well, he wouldn't be asking me this question if he didn't really care about me. You know, the opposite of, of, yeah. of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And, and they're asking me these questions because they love me. If they didn't love me, they'd be indifferent and just let it go. So 
Uh, you yeah. have to, sometimes you have to step back in the moment and realize well, the reason why he's challenging me on this is because I need to be challenged, but this is for my, for my best. My, it's for my good, not, you know, not to tear me down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This has been an awesome discussion. And it definitely looks like uh, there have been some questions that were definitely inspired from the audience as well. So let's see what questions we currently have here from the audience. So from Emma, Mm -hmm. How do you find yourself able to have boundaries? Specifically, how do you decide how much of yourself to give to your partners versus those in your family and at home? Awesome yeah. question, Emma. Oh, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, uh, one of my favorite books uh, is, is Boundaries for Leaders by Henry Cloud. But he's talking more about the leader-follower relationship and clarifying expectations. And, and Emma, I don't want to cop out, but I think it's a judgment call. I, because, you know, I think with each... You mentioned several environments. You get you have friends, you have coworkers, you have you have siblings, you have family members, and and it's a judgment call as to how open you are uh, with with any of those with any of those people. But I also know that when we're willing to be vulnerable and we're willing to be transparent, I have an equation that says trust equals vulnerability plus acceptance. And so so Emma, if you you come to me and you've got an issue or a concern or a worry or, or something that's on your heart that you feel like you need to talk to me about, you're being vulnerable. And my response to your vulnerability is to accept you, not to try to judge you and not to try to fix you. And so over time, if, if you're vulnerable and I accept, then we build, then we build trust. And, and trust is one of those things we have to build up. Now, in those different arenas that you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the trust develops over time. Obviously with a family, you've been with your family your entire life, but in a new workplace, sometimes it takes time to build to build that trust and to figure out who, uh, you know, who, who can I drop my guard with? But the other side of that equation is if you come to me and you're vulnerable and I judge you or try to fix you or tell you that's stupid or that's dumb, you shouldn't be thinking like that. Well, that's the last time you're coming to talk to me because your vulnerability was not met with acceptance. And then it ripples out because you leave my office and you're walking down the hall and a coworker says, Emma, what's wrong? It looks like you're upset. Oh, yeah, you should have heard the way Jay Lee talked to me when I went in the scene. So now, not only have I impacted your trust, I've impacted all the people that you're going to tell that story to. So it's it's huge. And trust is really the coin of the realm, I think, for leaders. Is um, We've done a lot of research and empirically supported that. But it really comes down to that. You're vulnerable. you got a fear, a concern, an issue. You express it. I accept it. And and so over time, we build we build trust through that through that equation. Thanks again for the question, Emma. I think we have time for one more question. So let's see if we could bring up another one from the audience. So again, from Emma, yes. another Emma, what lessons can we take from Jesus's leadership of the 12 apostles and apply to management and leadership positions in our work? Yeah, well, this is, this is a great one. What a, what a great setup question. Uh, first of all, Jesus said repeatedly, I am among you as one who leads. I am among you as one who serves. Not He doesn't say leader. I'm, I'm among you as one who serves. And I think that's important. If we're going to be leaders, we need to be among the people that we're leading. We can't lead from a distance. We can't lead from our you know, corner office at, at, the, at, the, at the top of the building. And, and, and then, he, then he talks about, you know, and there was a, quite a debate going on. The context was this debate between the sons of thunder who wanted to sit at his right and his left and their mother even, even got into the into the mix. And, 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 you know, Jesus talks about that a lot with those guys. And he said, you know, look at the Gentiles and, and the people that 
their their people lord their power over them. They're lording authoritarians. And then he says, it's not to be that way amongst you. And he says, you must serve others. If you want to be first, you've got to put yourself last. If you want to lead, you've got to serve. And so I think those those principles, those two principles, number one, I've got to be among the people. I'm among the people. He, he talks about being a shepherd. He's among the sheep. He knows the sheep. The sheep know his name. He knows them. Got to be among the people that we're leading. And then, but I'm among you, and Jesus said, as one who serves. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we know we would just start applying that. Well, I'm going to give up my life. No, I am. I'm going to set aside my personal agenda. I'm going to set aside my ego in order to serve these people in their long-term best interest. So I think those are two powerful principles that uh, we can take straight out of the Gospels and straight out of what Jesus said. And, and we can put those to work in any leadership role that we're in, either formal or informal. Yeah, great question, Emma. Thank you. So good. Yeah, thanks again for the question, Emma. And I know we're getting just to, to time right now. And before we close out, Jay Lee, I just wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been a, a true gift and blessing to have shared the the podcast screen with you today. And I'm very thankful that, you know, you bear through the technical difficulties with us. And I'm just, I'm very thankful just for the advice, you know, your, your leadership throughout your career and what you're still doing at the University of Dallas and teaching and just your Catholic witness as well. It's, it's been inspiring to me. And I know it's, it's definitely piercing a lot of hearts for anybody that's tuned in today. And we're just extremely grateful for your time and for joining us today. And I, I just want to say thank you from bottom thank of my you. heart and for everybody at YCP as well. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been, it's been great Absolutely. talking to you today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our, our next chat and you know, God bless you and your family. Man, what an amazing episode of our Refiner's Fire series. You know, we are just super excited to continue to interview just uh, amazing people just throughout this series and just to bring new insight and new wisdom to throughout our Catholic faith. And just to hop right into our 2024 National Conference. So our 2024 conference will be held in Dallas, Texas from April 26th through the 28th, and the theme will be on St. Jose Maria Escriva's vision of everyday holiness of work it, of workers in the vineyard. And we invite you to join us and our keynote speaker and also NFL kicker and devout Catholic Harrison Butker for a weekend full of authentic community, professional growth, and spiritual development. And we encourage you to register now and get your tickets today. And before we close out, I would love to close out just with a shortened version of our prayer to our beloved patron, St. Joseph. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Joseph, teach me to work as you did, with patience and perseverance, for God and for those whom God has given me to support. Teach me to see in my fellow workers the Christ who desires to be in them, that I may always be charitable towards all. Grant me to look upon work with the eyes of faith, when it is pleasant and productive, Remind me to give thanks to God for it. And when it is burdensome, teach me to offer it to God in reparation for my sins and the sins of the world. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. And once again, just wanted to thank you all for joining us and for bearing through the technical difficulties of no video today. But thanks again for joining this podcast style version of Refiner's Fire. And we pray and hope that you have a wonderful day and rest of your week. God bless.